Blog Talk Radio. This is Amanda, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm joined tonight by my fabulous co-hosts, Catherine and Jean, and our wonderful guest, Becky and Katrina. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hi, Amanda. Hello. Everyone's there. Um, (laughs) We had a little technical (laughs) issue, so we're starting later tonight. Um, We had to start over, but that's okay. We don't um, need to be perfect today. Um, All right, so tonight on the Bubble Hour, we will talk about adult children of alcoholics, also known as ACOAs. Um, And did you know that Children of Alcoholics Week is February 9th through 15th, 2014? Many people don't, so we wanted to do our part and help raise awareness and let people know that they are not alone. So did you grow up in an alcoholic home um, or a home with a problem drinker? If you did, you may have been impacted more than you know. Adult children of alcoholics share share several common characteristics. We thought it would be helpful to start by reading the 13 characteristics of adult children taken from the book Adult Children of Alcoholics by Dr. Jane Wotitz. The book was originally, I know I'm not saying that right, by the way. Um, It's W-O-I-T-I-T-Z, and it's a fantastic book about adult children of alcoholics. Um, And this book was originally written with only children of alcoholics in mind, but since its first publication, they learned that the material discussed applies to other types of dysfunctional families as well. If you did not grow up with alcoholism but lived, for example, with other compulsive behaviors such as gambling, drug abuse, or overeating, or you experienced chronic illness or profound religious attitudes, or you were adopted, lived in foster care, or any other type of potentially dysfunctional system, you may find that you identify with the characteristics described here. It appears that much of what is true for the children of alcoholics is also true for others, and that that this understanding can help reduce the isolation in countless persons who also thought they were different because of their life experience. Um, So apparently I can't talk tonight, but I'm going to still power on. So the first um, first character characteristic is adult children of alcoholics guess at what normal behavior is. The home of an alcoholic or addict is not normal. Life revolves around the addict and most family members must learn to keep the family going as they know it. Children of alcoholic or drug addicted parents do not live the same life as their normal peers. Therefore, the child of a, and later the adult must simply do their best maintaining normalcy as observed from friends, television, or simply by guessing. The second characteristic is adult children of alcoholics have difficulty following a project through from beginning to end. In the home of an addict, daily living is frequently interrupted due to misbehavior or unpredictable actions of the addict. For example, the family may start playing a game, but then dad comes home and everyone must stop playing. Or maybe mom promised to help work on a school project, but then passes out and never follows through. 
When project completion and follow-through are not consistently modeled, it is, hard, it is a hard skill for the adult child of an alcoholic to learn. Third characteristic is adult children of alcoholics lie when it would be just as easy to tell the truth. As a child of an alcoholic or addict, one must constantly lie and make up excuses for the addicted parent. The child also hears the parent and everyone else in the family lie and make up stories constantly. This behavior is a necessity to keep the addict family intact and therefore becomes a natural trait. Once a child acquires this behavior, it tends to stay with that child. These lies are not always malicious or harmful. Something as simple as the route the ACOA took home or what type of fruit they like is fair game for lies. Unless a child or adult receives enough consequences, either internal like guilt or anxiety or external like getting in trouble with someone, the ACOA may begin to practice the art of telling the truth more. Number four, adult children of alcoholics judge themselves without mercy. No matter what the child of an alcoholic or addict does, they cannot fix their parent or their family. They may be able to take care of the addict or other members of the family, but they're unable to fix the root of the problem, the addiction, and relating family dysfunction. No matter how well the child does in soccer or how high their school grades are, no matter how clean they keep the house or how good they are, they still can't fix that addict. Everything they do falls short. Additionally, a child of an alcoholic or addict may blame him or herself for bad things that happen in the family and are frequently guilt-ridden for reasons beyond their control. Perfectionism is very common in ACOAs. Number five, adult children of alcoholics have difficulty having fun. Growing up with an addicted parent is not fun. Kids are not allowed to be kids. And when the kids are not given this joy, as an adult, they don't really know how to simply enjoy life. The ACOA is constantly worrying about their addicted parent or is in trouble for things they should not even be responsible for or compensating in some other way for the addict. The usually carefree fun time of being a child often does not exist if the parent is an addict. The addict is the child in the relationship, and because of this, the child does not know how to be a child. Number six, adult children of alcoholics take themselves very seriously. Due to the gravity of their roles in their families growing up, adult children of alcoholics take themselves very seriously. The weight of the family and thus the world is on their shoulders. Number seven, ACOAs have difficulty with intimate relationships. Having never known a normal relationship or family roles, the ACOA does not know how to have one. The adult child of an addict does not trust others. The ACOA has learned that people are not trustworthy or reliable and has had their heart broken from an early age. New relationships must be handled with caution, too, because the child of an alcoholic doesn't want others to find out the secret. Adult children of alcoholics have learned to shut themselves off from others to protect their feelings as well as to protect their family. And number eight, adult children of alcoholics overreact to changes over which they have no control. The child of an alcoholic or addict lacks control over their lives much of the time. They cannot control when their parent is drunk or that the parent is addicted to begin with. She or he cannot always predict what will happen from one day to the next, and this is very anxiety-producing. A child needs to feel safe. Because of this lack of control of the child, the adult child of an alcoholic or addict craves control. They need to know what is going to happen next, how it is going to happen, and when. Of course, this control and predictability is not always possible. If plans are changed or someone does something that the ACOA doesn't like or feel comfortable with, all the insecurity of their childhood may come back to them, 
and the adult child may overreact, leaving the other party stunned or confused. Number nine, adult children of alcoholics constantly seek approval and affirmation. Similar to ACO, ACOA characteristic number four, children of alcoholics and addicts are used to continuously seeking approval or praise from their parent or other valued person. They probably did not grow up with a regular and consistent rules and expectations and could never make their addicted parent happy. Not knowing what is normal or expected, adult children of alcoholics need someone to tell them what they are doing is right. They are often indecisive and unsure of themselves. Number 10, adult children of alcoholics usually feel they are different from other people. Another overlap with other characteristics, children of alcoholics sometimes know from an early age that their home is not normal. Children from addicted families may or may not know what is different, and sometimes they don't completely get it until they visit friends' houses and observe their parents. Hey, Janie's mom makes her do her homework until she is finished, and they have dinner at this time, and then they have to go to bed at 9 every night. This consistency may be shocking and either attacks or appalls the child who is not used to such structure. Number 11, adult children of alcoholics are super responsible or super irresponsible. Once a child from an addicted family gets older and forms their own identity, the ACOA may either strictly follow a schedule and wants everything in order, controlled, perfect. These children offer, often struggle with anxiety, OCD, perfectionism, and eating disorders. The opposite result is the ACOA who is a party animal. This adult child may develop an alcohol, drug, or other behavioral addiction. This ACOA may live a life very much like their addicted parents or they may shape up and get their life together with appropriate support. Number 12, adult children of alcoholics are extremely loyal, even in the face of evidence that the loyalty is undeserved. Why do you put up with him? Adult children of alcoholics or addicts are used to dealing with just that, an addict. They're used to either taking care of an addict or seeing others take care of an addict. Drunken fights and broken promises are normal to the ACOA. Growing up, child of an alcoholic it was probably told it isn't his fault or he didn't mean it he was drunk because of these lowered expectations an adult child of an alcoholic or addict frequently ends up in relationships with another addict abusive partners or otherwise unhealthy relationships and number 13 adult children of alcoholics are impulsive they tend to lock themselves into a course of action without giving serious consideration to alternative behaviors or possible consequences this impulse, impulsive, impulsivity leads to confusion, self-loathing, and loss of control over their environment. In addition, they spend an excessive amount of energy cleaning up the mess. The last trait is fairly self-descriptive. The ACOA will struggle with falling into unhealthy patterns of behavior in whatever form it might take. Um, so an adult child of an alcoholic began life in unstable in an in- unstable and secure environment. The ACOA did not get everything they needed from their addicted parent. The 13 ACOA characteristics may seem daunting, but they are simply a profile description and explanation of possible existing traits. These 13 characteristics are not a death sentence or certainty for the ACOA. Once an ACOA recognizes and understands why they are the way they are and that they are not alone, the adult child of an alcoholic addict can begin to heal. 
With the support of a therapist, counselor, support group, and others, the ACOA can live a full, healthy life and stop the chain of addiction. Um, So this is a lot of information to process, but we thought it was really important to describe these characteristics. I know for me, when we talked about doing the show, I was tapping my head thinking, who should we have on for guests? You know, And then it occurred to me that I'm an ACOA myself, and when I read these characteristics while preparing for the show, I was blown away at how many of them that I could relate to. And um, as we were reading through them, I was checking them off, and it's really um, it's staggering. <laughs> so, um, But that's enough for me for now, and um, we would like to hear from our wonderful guests and hear their experience with growing up in alcoholic homes. So, Becky, thank you so much for being on the show with us tonight. Um, why don't you start by sharing a little bit about yourself and what was like was uh, life was like growing up for you? Hi, it's Becky. Um, thank you for having me on the show. I first want to say thank you to all of you guys and um, for being a part of the Bubble Hour. When I first got sober, I listened to the Bubble Hour every single day while um, while I was driving, while I was doing laundry, because I really needed to identify with women that were were like me. Because um, before the bubble hour, I really just didn't have any idea that I was an alcoholic. So it's really great what you guys are doing here, and I'm glad that I get to be a part of it today. So anyways, um, both of my parents have been sober for 18 years, and their sobriety has been a huge part of my sobriety and my decision to get sober when I did. Um, I didn't live with my dad very much when I was growing up, but when I was with him, I don't remember him drinking or drinking really being a problem. He actually um, he got addicted to drugs for like a year when I was 18 years old, and then he ended up getting sober, and I just... I never really understood, like, well, why can't you drink, you know? And the fact that he got addicted to drugs was really strange to me, too, because it was like one day it was normal, and now all of a sudden my dad was addicted to drugs. But he got sober. It was really my mom's alcoholism that really affected me because I had lived with her, and growing up, I mean, I think now that I look back, it wasn't totally normal, but I don't remember her drinking very much until... I got into high school, and when I got into high school, my mom had just broken up with her husband, and we moved, and she all of a sudden was drinking vodka every day and basically, like, locking herself in a room, and I had to, like, grow up really fast, and, you know, she had a lot of erratic behavior, and she drank all the time, and she hit it, and she screamed, and she yelled, and then she would be nice, and then she would be mean, and then... You know, she would yell at me on the way to school. I mean, it was total chaos. And um, I had a bunch of teachers that kind of took me under their wing at school and mentored me. And I knew that I had to get out of that situation by going to school and, and doing whatever I could do to um, to take control and to just get out of this life. And it was right after I got out of um a couple years after I got out of high school, my mom got sober. She was physically addicted when she, I mean, she would be dead today, absolutely no question, if she had not gotten sober. She would have been dead pretty much, pretty immediate after, right, you know, if she didn't quit when she did, because um, she was drinking vodka out of a cup, you know, out of a coffee cup on the way to rehab. But um, she's been sober for a really long time, so that's great. But in in between then and now, for me, I went to college, I started a family, I, um, I was just, 
I've always been a really, really overly productive person. So I went to college, and at the same time, I had two kids by the time I was 22, and I was working graveyard shift, and I was just, every minute of the day was filled, and I still found time to drink on the weekends. And so, like, that that whole thing kind of progressed. In my 20s, I, I was, then I was teaching, and I was going to grad school, and I was taking care of my kids, and guess what? I still found time to drink on the weekends like really drink I'm not I mean like binge drinking and I kind of thought like wow look at how awesome I am I can still do because all the people that I was teaching with and in this internship program they were all like resting on the weekends because that's what normal (laughs) people do but and so because I had all this overproductiveness I never saw that the drinking was an issue because I only had my mom as as an example and so I did that all through my 20s and you know I drank you know, on the weekends, and then it was like a couple nights a week, and then I tried to control it in my 30s, you know, like no hard alcohol, you know, switch back and forth, you know, try to drink less, so then I spread it out over, you know, four or five days, just wine, just beer, all, you know, I did all of that, and as long as I was, you know, being productive, I was showing up at work, you know, I was following through on what I said I was going to do and, like, exercising, just going, you know, really productive. I never thought the drinking could be an issue. And the last two years of my drinking, I was drinking wine every night. I still didn't think anything of it. I mean, honestly, never did I think I was an alcoholic. All my friends drank, you know, we were just drinking wine, you know, at the end of the night. And, like, I'd wake up in the morning, go to the gym, no big deal. I didn't think it was a big deal until I did and I woke up one day for whatever reason I don't know why I mean I could look back and see that my drinking had escalated but I didn't see it at the time but I woke up and I was just like I'm it was New Year's Day and I was like something needs to change like I was just planning on taking uh, taking some time off and I googled quitting drinking and when I did that I don't even know why I googled quitting drinking like I don't even know but I did and it led me to a blog, Unpickled, which is your blog, Jean. Yes, it is. And which I'm so grateful for because when I when I read your blog and I was like captivated as soon as I read it because here I saw this woman that was really super productive and she just drank wine and and I was like, Wow, that's my story and I read it for like five hours straight and at the end of it I I was in my office and I cried. Because I knew, like, and that was, I mean, I I didn't really contemplate it ever before. I was like, wow, I'm an alcoholic. And because of my, I have four kids, and because of my history with my mother, I mean, I've spent my whole life trying to stay one step ahead of my my drinking so that I was never going to be her doer, do to my children what, what, you know, put them through what I had to go through as a kid. And so I cried in my office because I knew at that moment that I was going to have to get sober, which is really scary. You know, when you're crying over leaving drinking, that's a pretty good sign that drinking's a problem when it's mm-hmm. that intertwined yeah. in your life that it makes you cry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, you know, I know that, so it's like my parents were both alcoholics. My parents also both got sober. So I knew what I needed to do. I knew enough about the disease to know that, like, if you're an alcoholic, that doesn't mean that I, you know, I didn't need to get a DUI. I didn't need to have my family members telling me to get sober i needed i just knew i kind of i kind of saw like oh shit i could be the one in the room with the with the drinking out of the vodka glass you know 
I don't know. I just, all of a sudden, I was like, that could be me, and it scared me. And um, so I decided to get sober. And in sobriety, it's been amazing. It's been the most amazing experience of my life. I had no idea that I needed to get sober, none, zero. I was happy. I thought I was happy when I was drinking. Um, I had just no idea what was in store for me, you know, and that the a lot of these characteristics that you you know you listed a lot of that's me and in in recovery I've been able to deal with a lot of those things and I realize I drink for a reason and you know and that I get to work on a lot of that stuff and I don't have to drink today and I get to have relationships with other people in recovery and a really close relationship with my mother now um and I always was close to her but I was always very resentful and it didn't matter how Many, you know, how much my mom did for me, because my mom has been an amazing person in sobriety. She's a completely different person. She takes care of my kids, um, like watches them every day, even my older ones. I mean, she's done this for years. She just gives, 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 and it was never enough for me. Like, you owe me, you know. I just, she just, I always felt mm-hmm. like she owed me for what she put me through. And in sobriety, I was able to forgive her, and I was also able to make an amends to her for for all that I put her through, I mean, she barely would accept my amends because she, you know, she feels like she deserved anything that I gave her. But it's really helped our relationship, um, just me getting sober and being able to see, you know, what what the disease is about and know that she didn't choose this. And so that's been great. And also my father has been active in a recovery program for 18 years and being able to follow in his footsteps has been amazing too and being able to sit next to him in recovery meetings and I know that you know he knew and and he didn't he he didn't um ever say anything to me he just waited for me and so here I am and I get to I get to have two sober parents and you know and if this disease ever affects my my children like hopefully I can be an example for them so that's about it Becky, this is Jean. Tell me how you talk to your kids about recovery. Do they they know that you're in recovery, and do you talk to them about how it affects them? Yeah, I I initially was shameful of the fact that I was, you know, an alcoholic, and that only lasted about a month. But when my son, he overheard me on the phone talking about getting sober, I was talking to my mom, and I turned around, and I was like, oh, no, he heard me, and he looked at me, and he was like, Mom, what are you talking about? Like, you don't have a drinking problem. They didn't understand at all. They did not think there was anything wrong. Like, what do you, you're not, you're not an alcoholic, and I had to explain, I mean, I I consistently explain it to him, to both of, not my little ones, I have a four and a six-year-old, they don't know, but my 15 and 18-year-old. I talk to them about it, and, you know, I've created a, um, you know, a world where children that see daily drinking, like, you know, wine drinking, they think that's normal. So just because my kids think it's normal doesn't mean that it's normal. And mm-hmm. so we talk about it. My son um, actually was there I ha- t- with me when I celebrated one year of sobriety, and, um, you know, we talk about all- a lot of it, and you know the signs for them i'm not pu- i try really hard not to push anything on them either it's hard you know that part is somewhat hard because they they're a little weirded out by the whole like i didn't know my mom was an alcoholic but and all of a sudden i've thrown myself into recovery and i'm a you know i'm a different person because of it you know a lot 
and and we we just have to have an open an open line of communication. So that's what I try to do with them. Good for you. That's an awesome gift for them. Mm-hmm. And do they do you know, I mean have they said anything um now that it's been, you know, over a year? Do they did this is Amanda, do they do they notice a difference in you or are they still kind of questioning the whole thing? Um I know I did with my stepfather. I was like, why are you getting sober? So I'm just curious, did they ever come to see, like, oh, wait a minute, this is different. I like her better now. Do you ever yeah, sense I, that from them? I don't know if they necessarily like, like, they've never said they like me better, but they, you know what my son did say, because he went to um, a recovery meeting. He was there when I got my one-year chip. He said that, wow, like, all these people are normal. <laughs> You know, and so, yeah, which was really cool because, you know, I did feel shame around it, like, and so he gets to see that, that it's not that big of a deal. I mean, they noticed, yeah, that I'm calmer, and um, my daughter always tells me, you're just different, Mom. You just always, you know, different in the way that, like, not necessarily she's saying when I was drinking, but that I talk more and I talk about feelings, and, you know, I talk about higher power, which I was a complete atheist before I got sober. So for that, that has been very different for them because they're like, whoa, you used to like, and I wasn't, yeah, I used to like kind of make fun of religion and I'm told of that, you know, so that's totally different. And I just have open conversations with them about it. You know, like I was wrong, you know, that, that I was wrong and I was closed minded. Like you can believe whatever you want, but like, it was wrong of me to say that what other people believed was wrong. And so that's been an interesting... Oh, I, I get that. Yeah. I have Thank to admit that I was Catherine. wrong about a lot. I have, Go ahead, Catherine. Catherine. I have to say I'm laughing because the, the first time that I met you and, and you, you know, listeners of the Bubble Hour know me and my spirituality stuff, and I, I remember kind of launching into some of it with you and you were like, Hmm, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is Becky. I needed that, though. I needed to see, you know, you, you did talk a lot about higher power, and I just, I was, I was captivated by you, too. Like, wow, you know, it was the first time in my life that I was willing to look at other women and men and, like, listen to what they were saying and to to ask for help, and never before, and I I really think this has to do with being raised by by an alcoholic mother that I learned early on, I'm the only one that's going to do it. Like, that's it. It stops at Becky. Becky better work harder, faster. I don't ask for help. I do it all on my own. And so in sobriety, all of a sudden, I needed help. I didn't know what to do, you know. And so learning from people like you, and I was like, wow, well, that that seems to work. And so I kind of tried it. And it was right after I saw you for the first time, I kind of tried the higher power thing and thought to myself, well, maybe that's a higher power thing, you know, in an incident that I was frustrated, you know, because things weren't going my way. And I thought, well, maybe this is, you know, my higher power is in charge here, and I let it go. And it was revealed to me like a week later that there was a reason for that, and it was like, whoa. So I've had a lot of those experiences and I've had, you know, amazing ex- miracles, just miracles in sobriety when, I, when I'm when i willing to see it. Mm. And the fact that I'm on the line with all of you women right now that have had such a huge 
part in my sobriety, every single person on the phone, and that we're all talking and doing this. It's just, it's, it's a miracle. Like, and I believe that there's a, that there was a plan, and this was all part of the plan. That is so cool. I think it's so important. This is Catherine, just to hear that your son's comment, and even what you're kind of echoing now that all these people are normal. And I think Mm -hmm. that. That's that's really important for anybody who's listening to the show tonight who's sort of wondering themselves, you know, well, could I get sober? You know, what are, you know, what are sober people going to be like? Is that going to be strange to walk into a recovery meeting or to seek out a sober network? And, um, you know, that that's a scary thing when you're you're sitting on the outside sort of saying, you know, what is this going to be like? So I'm curious, was it, was it helpful to, you know, having seen your parents transition from active and into recovery to sort of see their changes? Did that, well, did that ease you know, your transition at all? Or Honestly, my dad didn't talk to me a lot about it. Was, my mom is not in a recovery program, and my dad is. And my dad didn't talk to me a lot about a um recovery he, i just knew that he was he would come to visit me and he would go to meetings and my dad is about the most serene person that i've ever had contact with he's so yeah he's just got it you know he had stage 4 cancer and he just he went through that with so much faith and i didn't see that that was part of being a part of a recovery program until i got in myself you know, so I don't. I I went in because I mean I didn't go to recovery meetings until like eight weeks sober, um, but I kind of you know, and he never pushed it. I would just talking to him every day. He never pushed it. And once I finally did, you know, it was a lot of people in um, on the BFB too that I saw normal women going, and I finally got the courage to go. And I will tell you that it's been the it saved my life. You know, I and I. This is I never imagined Becky being in recovery at recovery meetings. No way. That's not what in my life, but it's been great. I mean, I know where to go now, you know. I go I go almost every day and um it's not at all what I thought it was going to be. It's been an amazing gift and I've gotten spirituality and fellowship and like I have met the most amazing people, you know in recovery and in these meetings, and I also get to be of service to other people. So I'm really glad that my dad walked those footsteps before me because um, because I get to do the same. So um, This is Amanda. It. You know what you just said that's um, really interesting to me is um, when you talked about, you know, you always um, had to, you know, asking for help and you always had to do things on your own. I mean that's what that's one of the characteristics here and you know have in difficulty with having intimate relationships there's nothing more intimate than a recovery meeting mm-hmm. um you know the the way that we share and we we're you know we're completely vulnerable and you know so I you know I well you are you've already answered that but you know I can see why for you know a lot of us it's really hard to go to these meetings and ask for help because we're trained not to. We're trained not to trust. We're trained, you know, um, not to get too close to people. Um, we kind of grow up that way with that, that mistrust that, you know, um, you know, I always thought of myself as being a trusting, really trusting person and almost to the point of being naive. 
And but when I really, really get honest with myself, I, I'm always waiting for that person to leave. And sometimes I'll push people away. Um, with either, just on a, on a subcon- uh, um, subconsciously, I'll do things to drive them away from me. And I, it's something that I've, you know, I work really hard at not doing anymore. But you know, it, every once in a while, like this monster inside of me flares up and is like. It, it sabotages relationships, and you know. But in recovery, I've learned to really trust. But you know, one of the things um, that I wanted to ask on the show was there anything about um, being, you know, an ACOA? Now that you, you know, understand the characteristics, has any of those characteristics um, made it difficult for you in the beginning of recovery? Um, besides the obvious that I just talked about. Well, Is there any you know, there was, I mean, it wasn't even in recovery. It's like a lot of stuff that led me to drinking. I mean, I can see all of these issues are issues that I didn't even know I had, you know, like shutting yourself off from others to protect your feelings. I did that. And I needing to know what was going to happen, how it was going to happen, and when, perfectionism, all of these things, I... These are traits that I had, and yeah, when I got sober and I was untreated, like, I, all of these things reared their head, fearful, anxiety, you know, and so in recovery, I've learned to, like, have faith in something besides Becky, which really helps, and I've learned to, like, that it's okay to have feelings, you know, the trusting other people, I totally get that, like, and, but I'll have these thoughts in my head, like, if you're going to hurt me or if somebody says something wrong, like, my immediate thought will be, like, I'm just not talking to them, like, ever again, which is, Mm -hmm. today I can recognize that is a crazy thought, and I'm so grateful that I have a place to go that, that I can say these thoughts or I can hear somebody else say these thoughts, and, and I don't, because I was just too strong, you know, I was too, like, look at, like, I would never share with you that I, that I was scared that you were going to hurt me. No way, because I have to be really strong, and so I can't tell you that, and so I've learned to have feelings and to, which I don't always like, you know, Yeah. but, you know, I'm learning, and you'd think, I think getting sober for me was like, wow, I realized how alcoholic I was, because I was having a hard time just living without, you know, a substance. And it's like, I was like, well, I didn't always drink every day, you know. For years I just drank on the weekends, but I always had something, like, to look forward to, like, shut my brain off. And so I really need a recovery program to work on these things. And, yeah, a lot of the the adult child of alcoholic stuff came up, like, when working the steps and I had, you know, I had to walk, I still continue to have to walk through even just listening to some of the stuff you read. It's more stuff like, Oh wow. You know, and today I can just like, I can share it or I know, you know, I know I can get through anything and, and that I don't have to drink over it. So I'm grateful for that. I, I really, I identified so much with, what you talked about, Becky, of your mom's erratic behavior, the sort of mean and the nice and the yelling and the chaos. Um, so my story is, is not that I'm an ACOA, but my family had um, a variety of dysfunctional issues, and that, that describes um, my mother. And my father would really retreat into silence. And so 
this has been an interesting thing for me in recovery to, so I actually recently um, in my recovery work, some of these trust and vulnerable vulnerability issues that Amanda just described so well came up through me in a really visceral way, really powerful. And I, I felt re-traumatized and a friend of mine in recovery recommended a book called After the Tears uh, by Jane Middleton Mose and Lori Dwinnell. Um, it's also about ACOAs. And I actually identify with pretty much every single characteristic, the little lies, the perfectionism, the difficulty having fun. So that's why I drank so I could try to have fun. Um, taking myself too seriously and then definitely the the intimacy trust issues and trying to be in control um i'm i'm sort of still processing all of this myself and so i just sort of throw that out there to say that i really identify and it's it's fascinating to me that you don't have to uh you don't actually have to have had addiction or substance abuse issue in your house and still have this be uh, resonant. Yeah, yeah, I find it really interesting too. I, it's it's just amazing. Um, I guess you know maybe it's 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 simply it's it's you know it seems to be it's simply trauma, um, and you know it's almost like we're all um, suffering from a little PTSD. Mm-hmm. This is Becky. I, I know, and like the strong part of me always like hates to think of or deal with any of this stuff because I'm like, no, I like I've overcome everything. I'm fine. Like, cause you know, I worked hard and I got a job, and you know, I did all this stuff. My life, like on the outside, looks so much different than where I came from. That mm-hmm. I'm just like I'm fine, and then all of a sudden now there's all this stuff. That I was like, okay, now I have to look at that. Like, I don't even want to look at that or think about mm-hmm. it. makes me sad to think about some of the stuff that I had to go through. I guess I'm also grateful that my kids didn't, you know, that it didn't have to go that far with me, you know. It's a, it's a sucky disease, this alcoholism. Well, I, um, I, you know, I want to hear from Katrina, and, and you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, share a little bit about um, um, my story after you know we hear from her. But um, what was I just going to say? One thing that um, I kind of said this already when you know prepping for the show, I was like, oh well, you know, yeah, my my biological father was an alcoholic, and my stepfather, and but I never thought of myself as an ACOA. But I'm realizing now and. <laughs> Um, you know, and I'm about to do what you just, you know, you did, um, Catherine, is dig into these things because it's impacted me a lot. And I and I know it on, like, a intellectual level. I've known that for years, and I'm like, yeah, but I'm strong and I've dealt with it um, because mm-hmm. I'm a strong person, and, you know, I don't. And um, I'm finding, and here I am, like, three and a half years in the recovery, and I'm like, no, I really need to dig into this. I really need to dig in like these things <clears throat> and it's in the some of the things that I was looking up when I was researching this. This is a it's it's a lifelong um it's um it, it doesn't mean that we have bad parents first of all. I want to say that. It um cuz my parents were awesome. Um and it, it it's um but it it does impact us and it has uh, it can be a very unconscious on a con- unconscious level. Like I don't 
I don't realize that I push people away at all. Like most people would say, you know, I'm very friendly and I I, I actually open up to people and I get close. But there's a part, there's a piece of me too that's like running away at the same time as I'm getting close. I don't um, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's um, it, you know, and I'll look, you know, I'll, I'll I'll get into that. But why don't we? Um, Jump to Katrina, and, and why don't you share some of your, your your experience with this? Okay, ladies, this is Katrina. First of all, I did want to say before I forget, thank you so much for having me on the Bubble Hour. I'm pretty excited and nervous, um, but you know, this is this is amazing. I I've never really looked into the um, ACOA. I've heard of the some of the um, groups that are, are around, but. Um, well, maybe one day I'll do that. You know, that was that kind of attitude. So when I read, you know, these 13 um, characteristics, I just really was so surprised. You know, everything was pretty strong in every category. Um, And, you know, it also makes me think about my kids of what maybe I should, you know, put something out or get some research into it because, um, unfortunately, I end up being an alcoholic. So, um, yeah, my kids, I grew up in an alcoholic um, drug environment. Uh, my mom, my stepdad, my dad, uh, my grandfather, I'm, just everybody in my family were alcoholics. And so it was normal for me. Um, I had one incredible woman, my grandmother, um, doesn't understand why we like to get fuzzy-headed. And um, <laughs> she's the only, you know, norm, normal person in my whole, you know, and my upbringing, and, and thank goodness, she really, you know, took care of me quite a bit growing up. But my mom was a single mom, um, you know, looking for love, trying to, you know, to fill her love tank in all the wrong places. And um, so I got, you know, a lot of exposure to a lot of things that, you know, little girls probably shouldn't have seen. And um, my dad was, in, you know, in and out of prison because of his drug of choice and, his drinking, and um, I was a daddy's girl. You know, I always wanted to see daddy kind of thing. And and it was sad because, you know, unfortunately he was in his addiction so bad that he couldn't be my, he couldn't be there as a dad should be there. And, you know, my mom did what she could with what tools she had, which wasn't much. And, um, you know, I just, it, reading these characteristics, you know, just the whole, um, I'm a codependent. You know, I'm not only an alcoholic, I am a codependent. I always tried to, you know, take care of my mom. I had to grow up really fast um, trying to do that. You know, I would see her drunk. And, you know, I know now um, she's got to hear my story. And um, she's like, wow, you black out? She, she couldn't have been as worse as me. And I'm like, yeah, try, you know, get 10 years of blacking out, Mom. And she was kind of surprised, mm-hmm. you know. But now I get to understand her, too, because or I get to understand a lot of things that happened while I was growing up because she is a blackout drinker. And, um, you know, and my dad, um, by the grace of God, he got um, sober three years before I came into the room. And um, that's just been a huge blessing in my recovery Um, because, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, for me, you know, I had a lot of issues. Um, with accepting, I guess, at first, you know, that I was going to ever be like my mom because I never wanted to be like her. And um, she did drugs, or she does. She's still active, unfortunately. And, um, 
because she did drugs, and I get it, and I just drank. I didn't think I was anything like her. And um, its ugly head came up, and I, I knew. I knew for for a couple of years, you know, and, and, and that scared me because um, I didn't know what that meant. Nobody ever told me that there was something wrong with me because the fact was that everybody drank. It was a normal part mm-hmm. of life for me. And, um, you know, all the things that I swore I wouldn't do, I did, you know, and I did them to my children. And, um, you know, I end up, you know, like one of the relationship parts of it in here. You know, I had unhealthy relationships. I stayed in a marriage for 21 years. And, you know, the first couple of years I didn't really drink because I knew I didn't want to be like my mom. And um, eventually that ended up being, well, I can't stop them, so I'm going to join them. And I, by no means, you know, by no means do I ever tell anybody that I started drinking because of my husband. I drank knowingly what it can do to me. And I like mm-hmm. the fact I drank to get drunk, to lose those feelings because that's just, it was it was too much to bear. And, um, you know, I, I tried all the other things. You know, earlier when I was young, I was very promiscuous, you know, because, again, I was looking for love, trying to fill my love tank and, you know, it was just, you know, I ended up having sexual relationships at a very young age, which was just like, you know, I look at, well, my little girl's 25 now, but, you know, when she was 13, 14 years old, I just couldn't imagine, you know, and, but that was, that's the route that happened. I, you know, I got to run the streets because mom was drunk and she was partying in the apartment, so I go run the apartments, and um, I just was put in situations I shouldn't have been in, and, um, so, you know, I had my daughter, you know, because a man, another unhealthy relationship, you know, um, you know, if you love me, you'll you'll get pregnant. Well, I ended up having a daughter at 15 years old. And what wow. I can say from that is I love my baby girl. And um, But the thing was is I was a kid raising a kid, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I started drinking, and just I, I did it for 21 years, 20-plus years. You know, let's be honest. I never really – I started drinking alcohol, and I liked the way I felt. I belonged you know, because I never felt like I belonged. And um, that's that fun part that they talk about is that, you know, I, I didn't know how to have fun without drinking. And um, the loyalty. I mean, I stayed in a marriage for a lot of years that was not physically abusive, but mentally I found out when I got sober, um, more so than I ever realized. And um, But, you know, I just, I, I found out my marriage was pretty much over, my last child was graduating, and I felt useless and hopeless, and I didn't know what I was going to be since I've always taken care of my mom, then I've taken care of a kid, and then I took care of a husband, and then I took care of another kid, so, you know, I just was kind of like, you know, I didn't know what to do, and I knew I had a drinking problem, so I did have to get into a recovery program, and um, what I can say from that is that um, it's the most amazing experience in my life. You know, it's been such a discovery and a beautiful journey the last year and a half. And um, my children, I get to show them that there is a way out, you know, and I get to use the tools that I've learned and um, with them in their life. And I can't take back what their childhood was like, but what I can do is I can be present for them, and that's just huge. You know, that's just something that it's all I can give them is my sobriety at this point. You know, I've said my amends to them, and, and they love me dearly, and, and, and they want me to stay 
sober. You know, some of their friends like, oh, you know, because, of course, I can get out of myself when I drink and I'm this party girl. Um, my kids' friends were like, come on, Mom. And I'm like, they're like, no way, Jose. You know, they're just like, no. We're good with Mom <laughs> being sober. And so it's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, I can, I, I, for the first time in all my life, um, it took me a while. Getting sober was hard. You know, but it, and it took me a while, but, you know, the love of family and friends and my kids, um, I have that today. And most of all, I love myself. And um, that's the beautiful gift of, of being sober is just that I now have something to offer to other people. And that being, you know, other people, um, other women, you know, um, my kids, um, my family, I get to be present and I just, I get this wonderful gift you know, of, of sobriety. But, um, yeah, one thing that's really helped me is that, you know, I've got to learn how to set boundaries um, and that some things are not in my business. Um, you know, like I mentioned, my mom's still active in her disease, and, and it's as much as it hurts me, um, I can't take care of her. She knows there's a solution, and um, she knows I'm here for her. She needs me, and... Um, I can't do anything about it, you know, and I, I get to have a relationship with my dad. You know, he remembers he remembers the day I got sober more than he remembers my actually belly button birthday. You know, it's just like he just cracks me up, and um, he's there for me in a heartbeat, you know, for him. And I get it is that he just tells me, you know, all I can do, Katrina, is just give you my sobriety and be here today. And I get that, you know, and I'm so happy that um, I get to share this experience with him and my kids. And um, it's just a beautiful thing. But thank you so much for having me on. Katrina, oh, this is Catherine. So I mean, I I just, I I really appreciate you sharing. And, you know, I think it's so important for all of us to know that we are not our parents. Um, we are our own people. And that, you know, you're talking about changing the story for your kids, like, we can break the pathologies of our families by doing our work in recovery and, you know, taking ownership for what we do and we can change and we can change the world when we do that. I think that's, that's something really important to hear. Um, I really, I really identified with what you said when you said, you know, I didn't think I could be like her and, Becky kind of alluded to that, too, because she said, well, if her mom was alone drinking in her room, Becky, you said, well, I, you know, but I was going to work. I was going to the gym. I was raising four kids. I was doing all this stuff. I was so busy and only binging on weekends for a long time. I couldn't be like her. And I know I did that with my ex-husband, who um, was and still is, as far as I know, an active alcoholic. And it's, I think a lot of us had at least one person that we would use as sort of our benchmark. Well, I'm not that bad, you know, so I, I'm not like that person, so I can't be that bad. And that's not necessarily an ACOA thing. That's I think I've, I've heard that a lot. Um, yeah. So that's just that's something that I really identified with. Well, I think that's something where we, you know, we, this is Amanda, where we, you know, we gravitate towards dysfunctional relationships because it also makes us feel more normal. 
I, you know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, and, and and it's really on a subconscious level that we do that. But, um, and we also, well, we want to be around people who are doing what we're doing. And it's, and, and it, you know, for a long time, I always had someone that was worse than me. And for the, for a long, I know for me a long time, it was my, my biological father. And, um, it's interesting to me just listening to you. My, um, I'll just do, you know, share real quickly. My biological father was an alcoholic, and actually died from this disease. And he was in jail when I was born, um, so I, you know, I can identify with that, Katrina. And he, um, he was really not a part of my life. He, um, he was in, like I said, he was in jail, and then he got out. My mom um, ended up marrying him, uh, I think, when I was six months, and. And then they got divorced by the time I was two, and I would see him on the weekends, and um, he would take me for the weekend, and he was my hero. And Mm -hmm. I loved being with my daddy more than anything, and um, he would take me on a Saturday. And actually, this is more like when I was five. I I don't remember the earlier years, but um, at this point, my mom had started dating my stepfather, and um, we were living, uh, you know, we were living with him, and my, I would go see my biological father on Saturday, and we would hang out during the day, and I was on top of the world, and he had a girlfriend. And um, come nighttime, he would leave me with a girlfriend, and he would say, and I would cry. And he would say, oh, it's okay, you know, tomorrow I'll take you bowling, or, you know, tomorrow we'll do this. And, you know, he was, you know, the guy that bought me Twinkies, and, you know, when the ice cream truck came, I was always able to, you know, get something from the ice cream truck, and um, maybe that's why I'm addicted to ice cream. <laughs> but he, you know, he was just I, just, I just worshipped him, and, you know, but he would go to the bar, and he would never come home. And so my mom and my stepfather would pick me up on Sundays, and I would just be hysterical. And, um, and so that's, um, and my stepfather finally put a stop to that. I think I was like six years old and because my, the other thing my father would do was drive drunk with me and, you know, cause he was a pretty severe alcoholic and drug addict. And, um, and so my, my stepfather put down some boundaries and said, you know, you do this, this and this, or you can't see her anymore. And he didn't. So he just disappeared from my life. And um, it was um, as I started, as I was growing up, and all these characteristics here that I'm reading about, which really were eye-opening to me. Um, You know, I recognized a lot of this growing up. I knew something wasn't right. I knew that I had this um, irrational um, fear of intimacy and relationships. And, I, you know, I could see myself pushing people away when I didn't want to that I wanted them close, but I couldn't trust anyone. And here it was, I had a fairly stable home life with my mom and my stepfather. Um, Even though my stepfather was also an alcoholic, he was very much a barroom drinker. And so I didn't witness, there there wasn't, you know, a lot of this stuff. I didn't get a lot of this from him because um, there was some unpredictability and there was some anger and stuff. But for me, he was just a guy who worked hard, um, he was very loving and fun. Um, yeah, there definitely was some unpredictability, but I related, and, and I guess that probably impacted me more than I realized at the time. But really, I related it all to my biological father, and I and I recognized that I had some major issues. Um, and actually, just um, my aunt told me a story one time where we lived in the suburbs, and my father was from Boston, 
and I was about 10 years old, and my aunt and my mom took me into Cambridge to go, you know, like hang out in Harvard Square for the day, and all I did when we were in there was look for my father. I'm like, oh, we're going to see, you know, we're going to see Bob. And they were like, we're not going to see Bob in there. I'm like, we're in the city. We're going to see him. That's what we do when we go to the city, and I was obsessed. And um, so anyways, you know, fast forward when I was, I don't know, in my early 20s, I decided to meet him. And it was right, up, actually right around the time that my stepfather got sober, and I figured that I needed to meet my biological father and confront him. And I, I did hunt him down, and I met him, and he was kind of up to the same thing. And um, he was actually, um, I met my half-sister, and he was um, was some, in, in here somewhere where, where we read. He was very critical of her. And um, he actually didn't show up for her 21st birthday party, and I went ballistic and and um, told him off, and never saw him again um, because I it was just brought back this um, incredible pain that I had from feel, this this um, fear of abandonment that is you know very, you know was so strong in me, and it's still a pretty strong thing. Um, so. I guess, you know, that's that was that was my experience with, you know, what it was growing up and it it's had a huge impact on me and I've I've done so many of the things that, you know, that um both, you know, all all of you have shared about, you know, being strong and independent and taking care of things and, you know, I had great jobs and I had a home and I I had all these things and I had my biological father to say, "Well, I can't be an alcoholic because I would never do what he did." And um, where, you know, Becky, you said that got you into recovery sooner, um, having someone as an example, even though I had my stepfather as this fantastic example of recovery, I had my biological father where I would say, well, I don't need it yet because I'm not like him. So that was that was my guy to say I wasn't like him. And just one other, you know, thing to share about that, getting into recovery, I, I mean, I he ended up dying. He um, actually got sober when he found out he had cirrhosis. And it was um, my my half-sister said, oh, you know, he really wants to see you. He's sober now. And I said, no way. You know, he's, and I had some choice words for him. And I refused to see him. And he would ask all the time. And um, and then he died. And um, I ended up going to the funeral, you know, for my sister, to be there for my sister. But um, the one thing I can say about all that and for, you know, for people who, you know, I hear people in meetings now and they're like, oh, you know, I just, you know, I'm sober and, you know, two of my kids have forgiven me, but this other one just won't. And I'm like, wow, that's me. And um, for, for you know, at first I felt really bad about that, but the um, the nice thing or the one of the best gifts that I've gotten in recovery is I've been able to forgive my bi- biological father in my heart because I now understand him. Um, so, and, uh, that's been healing, but, you know, I, I still feel like it's, it's something I, I, I need to do a lot more work on. And, um, you know, this topic was, I was reading this, I was like, wow, this is, um, amazing how, and, and how I knew, I identified some of these things, you know, from an early age, but there's other things I just, I hadn't really paid attention to or noticed how much they had impacted my life. Did um, either any of you have any, you know, when you were reading this, was there anything that kind of took you by surprise that 
you know, was kind of a characteristic of, you know, on, of how you grew up? This is Catherine. I I found the most surprising of them was the difficulty having fun. Um, yeah. You know, I just, I because I think, sometimes I think that I'm a fun guy. I don't know. And then I also sort of I feel I feel like I'm really serious and and always focused on serious things all the time. As a matter of fact, I was just at brunch with some friends yesterday, and one of them said something really funny, and I just started laughing hysterically. And she said, "Oh my gosh, I made Catherine laugh. That's unbelievable." Um, and wow. I was thinking of this because I'm because I'm reading my ACOA book, and I I thought, oh, like. Really? Is that is that some is that a way that people think of me? Is that a trait? I don't know. I, I was I was surprised, but then I definitely felt like, yeah, I know that I drank to just be more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to loosen up. Now you guys are just stuck with me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love you, Catherine. We think you're fun. Thank you. <laughs> and and the other thing is, I I um. I'm I'm super super responsible. I was not necessarily of that that didn't always follow when I was drinking. Um although I was really focused on always showing up for work and the, the wheels were starting to come off, but it's it's funny now people say to me like you're just you're such a responsible person and to be honest with you, I kind of like that about myself. I mean, it's I probably can chill out and not take myself so seriously all the time, but I sort of feel like maybe that's a good a good outcome that I don't I really try not to let people down. Well, I was kind of laughing when you read that because I'm like I was sitting there I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm responsible and all that and OCD and perfectionism, that's me." And then you're like, and then the opposite result is the ACOA who who's a party animal, and I'm like, well, that's me too. <laughs> that's me too. <laughs> I know. I thought the me same too. thing. I thought the same thing too. I can be a responsible be, party animal. Right. You know, I might. If you, if you can't play with the big big dogs and don't get off the porch, that was always my saying. Like you know. I'll never forget, like, we had this dodgeball tournament at work, and there, you know, we were out partying till like, super late, and I actually had even broken my pinky um, when we were playing dodgeball, and I was like, oh, it's fine, I'll just hold a cold beer. I mean, I, I, <laughs> it broke, it, I broke it in two places, it's, I, and, but that's what I did. I had to get to the bar, and, um, you know, we were out late, and I worked with all these young guys, and this, this young guy, uh, one of the guys I worked with was like, an hour and a half late to work, and he came in. I'm like, dude, if you're going to play with the big dogs, you got to get to work on time. I'm like, you were just out yeah. with everybody last night. And uh, that's how I rolled. I was did what I partied, but I was I was responsible. This is Becky. I think, you know, it's interesting even just talking about this right now, the, the party animal thing. It's like I, I see myself as so responsible in all of these things, but, yeah, I was a party animal. And when I am drinking... I am not responsible. I mean, it was like my yeah. excuse. Not every time I'm drinking, you know, if I, but when I'm doing, like, you know, the dodgeball things or things like you're talking about, like if I would go on vacation away from the kids or, you know, the kids spent the night somewhere or even so, a lot of times when they were around and it was, you know, 4th of July or whatever function I created that, 
you know, like come to to our house and come sit by the pool. I would have all these functions so that I could drink the way I wanted to. But I wasn't responsible during that time. But I saw myself as being so responsible, you know. And I'm not saying that I was doing anything crazy, but when you're drunk, I mean, how responsible are you really, you know. Right. But I always made sure that, like, I got, you know, my work done or I would just plan it. I mean, it was all planned around when I had to work and what had to get done and, you know, making sure that everything happened the way it needed to. But it's just interesting, once I got sober, to see, oh, tons of stuff started coming up, and it was like, wow, I was really not, like, the perfect person that I thought I was. And that you get to hear other people say, like, oh, yeah, you know, I was thinking that, you know, you have, you know, you drank a lot or that, like, that's not somebody that just, you know, I had somebody tell me today, we were talking about it, and, he was just like, yeah, I remember seeing you. I came over to your house and, like, it was, like, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning and we were in the neighborhood and you are like, yeah, come over. And you had a friend over and you're all drinking wine. And I'm like, I don't even know who that was that was here. Right. Like, I can't even remember. <laughs> like, and now I'm, like, asleep at 1 o'clock. I mean, come on. I'm so dead asleep. My house is so not, I'd say, boring, but, like, it's not boring. My My life is amazing, but... You know, that I was even up at 1 o'clock in the morning. Like, I should be sleeping. Anyways. Right. Well, that's what's this is Katrina. That's what's funny is for me is that I realized after I quit drinking that nobody else really drank like me, you know, because I was the party mm-hmm. animal, and I thought everybody was drinking with me because I would always pressure people to drink, you know, and so yeah. I didn't want to drink alone. And so that was really a shocker for me. And, and you know, like I mentioned, I was always around people that drank like me, I thought. So so when I quit, they weren't surprised, you know. And it's like, you know, people that don't know me, and they're like, come on, you can at least have one drink, you know, because they don't know what I'm doing. And, and my friends would laugh, and, you know, i go, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know what one drink's about, you know, and it would be a joke, ha-ha, but my friends just look at me and bust up laughing. They go, Katrina carries an ice chest with her in her car. Are you serious? <laughs> so... The whole part of, you know, thinking that, I, I mean, for me, I just ran for the party. You know, that's what my ex-husband and I did. We ran mm-hmm. for the party. Wherever the party was and the kids got dragged along. And now when I sit about, around a bunch of drunks, I just think, oh, my gosh, my poor children. Um, the many nights, you know, that we just dragged them along for the ride, unfortunately. Well, did um, either of you um, either ask your parents to get sober? Did you ever say anything to them about their drinking? Um, this that is Becky. Curious. I I um I basically had like an intervention on my mom when she got sober. I mean, I didn't know it was an intervention, but it was like if you don't get sober, you're never going to see your grandson. Because I was like, I didn't. It was you know, and it's talked about it in here. Like, I wanted to control it. I wanted to fix it. I couldn't. And I was like, mm-hmm. and, oh, I, you know, I happened to work with some women at the time that were in recovery and, like, what a gift that was at that time in my life. And they really helped me and guided me. And um, I just, I went, I told her that you're never going to see your grandson or me. I'm done. Like, I had to cut ties with her and it took about a day. Within a day, she called me and and um, my brother and I took her into a program, like a 30-day program. So, gosh. 
you know, what I, yeah, I talked to her about her drinking for years, but it was when I finally, like, cut her off that she finally asked. I think she pr- probably would have asked for help anyways because, like I said, she was physically addicted. And she, like, she went on, like, an eight-day, didn't go to work, like, a, a binge, and, like, oh, yeah, it was bad. So I definitely, never with my father, but, yeah, with my mother. This is Katrina, you know, for my dad, my father ended up doing it on his own. Um, and with my mom, I I never asked her to quit. I mean, for me, when my mom had the country music blaring in the apartment and I could smell pine salt, that was good times because I could do whatever I wanted as a child. Um, but, you know, when I got sober about a year and a half ago, um, she knows, you know, there's a solution. Um, she's living you know, with my grandmother, or living off my grandmother, and, um, you know, I pretty much have told her that, that you know, God forbid anything happened to, to my grandmother, it's just that I can't live with her in her addiction, you know, and um, I would have probably cut her off, but I, I can't stay away from my grandma, and, um, but I've, I've limited to, you know, my time that I do spend over there, and I keep offering, you know, hey, mom, you know, do you want to go to with with me to one of my meetings? You know, the ladies group, and you know, she just oh, I've already started drinking. You know, and I'm like, hey, well, you could still come. So I just always leave the door open. Yeah, my mom. You know, to this day of just you know, one day she did call, and um, I took her. You know, and I, and I just leave that door open, and I just love her unconditionally. At this point, I can't change her. She has to want to stop. Yeah. Right. Wow. Uh. That's powerful stuff. Um, that's that. Yeah, that's it's hard. You know, I think I I look back um, and my my stepfather. You know, having to watch me. You know, as as you guys have described. You know, having to watch me um, kind of destroy myself, but not knowing at the same time I had to want it. I had to want it to get better for me. Um, mm-hmm. That you know. Once he he was sober, because that he that was a long time <laughs> of him being sober and me and me not, and you know. But I have to say, I remember um, growing up when he first got sober. I was like, "What well, you know? Why'd you get sober? I don't really, you know, I, you know, you're not going to be fun anymore." And um, then seeing that he he was like, "Well, I don't need to drink to have fun," and and you know, I didn't know it at the time, but he was modeling for me you know, that, you know, you can have a good sober life. And, you know, I'm I'm very lucky that he got sober when he did and, you know, that I was able to also, you know, see what recovery looks like, you know, as you as you both have said. It's, it's really helpful. You know, you can really, by being in recovery, you can do so much for your children. You know, you're you're showing them that they don't have to make the choices that you made. And if they do and they end up in trouble, that they can, you know, they can also change their life. So I think that's, you know, really important for, you know, I know some people may be listening and saying, what have I done? And, um, and you know, that's that's really not a helpful emotion. You know, you know, it's not what we've done, it's what we do um, yeah. that matters. And I you think know, that's, and really, like that's this, really important. And this is Katrina, and like you mentioned, it's, it's I get to break the cycle. You know, I didn't get sober mm-hmm. until my last child was going to be 18, but I get to break that cycle. I get to open that door. You know, my dad started it, and I came in three years later, and 
it's a miracle because nobody has broken that cycle in my family. We haven't had Alcoholics Anonymous active in our family. And it's just been generation after generation doing the same stuff. And, um, you know, I think it's a beautiful gift. And, you know, I mean, unfortunately, I did what I did. Um, but I can't take it back. And, you know, one thing I get to do now is I get to talk with other alcoholics and I get to use my past as a gift today. And um, I never thought I could say that, you know, the pain and the torture and everything I did to myself, you know, killing myself spiritually um, and not really ever loving myself because I always wanted to impress people. And today I don't have to do that. And I get to show my children that. And that's the most important part for me is that I get to show my kids. They get to, you know, like Becky mentioned, you know, her son saying, you know, they're normal. Yeah, my son comes to dinner with me and my sober friends. And I have to show them I had to change people, places, and things in my life to stay sober because I did surround myself around the party crowd. And they get to see Mm -hmm. people get to have fun and they still get to have laughter and they get to do it sober. And it's a beautiful thing I get to show them today. Yeah. That is that is a huge gift that you're giving them, um, and also just being in a program of recovery because you know we you know we we live you know a healthy healthy life, and it is a good example for anyone. I think everyone should be in a program. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so does um and you know we're getting near um you know we're a little bit over them when we try to wrap up the show. Does anyone have any closing thoughts or comments that they want to add? Well, this is Catherine. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, Becky and Katrina, thank you so much for being here. I've really learned a lot from your shares. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really, I'm just really glad that I got to be a part of the Bubble Hour. And I, again, thank you for Amanda and Catherine and Jean for what you guys do. I really appreciate it. Well, yes, thank, thank you, you very much for having me on. Um, you guys have both been um, awesome tonight and really helpful, and I can't thank you enough for sharing your experience. It's you know really, it really has been a powerful message, and you know I hope this helps a lot of people. It certainly helped me, um, and um, I really appreciate you being on. So um, as we sign off, as we do with every show, we would like to direct your direct you to our parent company, Shining Strong's website, which is www.shiningstrong.org. And on there you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, and links to some of the other initiatives we are involved in with recovery advocacy. And if you would like to go directly to the Bubble Hour's website, that is thebubblehour.com, and there you can listen to our shows directly from the website, or you can follow a link to subscribe to our podcast. And we thank you all for listening to the Bubble Hour, and we hope you have a great evening. Um, So good night, ladies. Thank you so much. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Bye. Bye.